Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. In this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a very popular and relevant topic, and that is stress, overwhelm. Um, And in the show specifically, Dr. Hooper and I dig deeply into what is stress, its origins, how can it be used for you, how can it be used against you, um, ways to identify when it's going towards more of a pathology, towards overwhelm and what you can do about it. We're also going to dig into the power and the importance of self-esteem and that self-esteem is not actually given to us by our parents, nor do we give it to our children as parents, but rather it's the reputation that we build with ourselves, about ourselves. Very, very wonderful conversation. I know that you're going to enjoy that topic. And lastly, we're going to dig into the four pillars of what Dr. Hooper calls parenting yourself. Um, And that is the ability to recognize and pull yourself out of these stressful, overwhelming situations in a way that mirrors ideal and optimal parenting. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Let's jump in. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Hooper, a licensed psychotherapist with over 20 years experience working with both couples and individuals, and he's also been an ordained Lutheran minister for 35 years. He's a fellow of the American Association of Pastoral Counselors and is a diplomate of the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress. He holds both a Master's of Divinity and a Doctorate in Psychology and has been guest lecturer at prestigious universities like UC San Diego, University of San Diego, and most recently, Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee. His areas of special interest and expertise are around clinical hypnosis, trauma recovery, personalized addiction therapy, and the use of diverse blends of modalities in order to help individuals overcome anxiety and depression. Dr. Hooper, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Aaron. (laughs) You know, we've been friends for some time now, and it's really exciting to really have an opportunity to have an environment where we can, you know, have a conversation and kind of document around topics that we think are really important for the folks that we work with every day. And um, I'm uniquely excited about this topic because um, the majority of my private clients uh, have uh, struggles that I'm talented enough, intuitive enough, intuitive enough to maybe identify, but certainly not mm-hmm. skilled to take them to a place where they get the breakthrough that they actually need, and 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 you certainly do. And so I'm excited to dig into um, today's topic, which is really around how do um, high-level professionals, executives, business owners. Um, public figures who are in high-profile situations, um, how do they manage stress and not becoming not become overwhelmed with it? This is a really, really um, important topic. Because, it's a key topic. Yeah. Absolutely. Because these people inherently thrive in a stressful environment. Right. And we need them. And we need them to be yes. healthy so that they can continue to do that. Yes, absolutely. 
Before we dig into today's show, can you just, for everybody who doesn't know who you are, can you give us just a couple of minutes about where you're from, what you're up to, your story? How did you get into um, pastoral counseling, therapy? Just a little backstory. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. Well, when I was in college, I was torn between going into clinical psychology and pastoral ministry. Mm. And I felt a real tug towards pastoral ministry and thought, well, eventually I can go back and do more studies in counseling and clinical psychology if I want to. And that's exactly what I did. Mm. Um, What they both have in common, of course, is helping people be the most whole people they can be. And and that's what I do as a pastoral psychotherapist. I help ameliorate suffering and maximize wholeness and well-being. Mm. Maybe one thing that I should mention is that uh, those who are trained as clinical pastoral therapists work with people regardless of what their religion is. Mm. So, I, I, yeah. yeah, I think that's sort of important to know. I've worked with people of – I've worked with Muslims and Jews and Christians of, of various stripes. Uh, I work with folks who are sort of metaphysically oriented. Um, and then I work with people who say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. But underneath all of that, as I've said to people before, you know, there is no Christian oxygen. There is no Jewish oxygen. There is no Muslim. Mm. There's just oxygen, and we all need it. And we are inherently spiritual people. When what that means is that we seek meaning in life. We seek meaning um, and we seek connection. And those mm-hmm. are two very deep spiritual values. So what I – do is draw upon people's spiritual values and then integrate the insights of counseling and clinical psychology in order to help them achieve their goals. So that's a little bit of a that's amazing. summary of what no, I that, do. No, that's really good. And that actually, it's very intuitive of you, doctor, to, to want to explain <laughs> that. that. That's something that I was going to ask for, um, you know, w- what is pastoral psychotherapy? And I right. think that's a really right. great overview of... Um, yeah, I, and I think it's important, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just think it's important that people know that I'm not here to throw a sacred book at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we may or may not consult one, um, yes. depending on what their truest and deepest needs are. Yeah, but, you know, but at the same time, I love how, um, you know, this isn't a discussion about what to believe, only that you need to believe something. Right, and it needs to be about in a direction that connects you to other people, to right. your true self, mm-hmm. uh, and to the all, the mm-hmm. greater picture. No, that's yeah. great. So when we're talking about uh, high-profile individuals, uh, movers and shakers, thought leaders, um, people who have this inherent tendency to um, to move towards high-pressure situations that are impactful, meaningful, high-visibility the consequences of failing are disastrous for these folks, right. but the reward emotionally, spiritually, economically for being successful are, are just as great. Um, so they, they gravitate towards these high-pressure things. What Can we start this with talking about from where you sit the spectrum between – um, st- no stress to stress that has become overwhelming, where you have a decompensation of a human. Right, exactly. <clears throat> so let me meet you in the middle, okay. in the middle of that question, which is what's one thing that I notice about people who are very high level performers that they have in common mm. that helps them keep their balance? 
Is that mm-hmm. an okay place to begin? Sure. What I've noticed is, we, and we talk about high level, ultimately these people are very down to earth. Oh, yeah. They're extremely humble. Now, when I use the word humble, um, I'm using it advisedly. I don't mean that they're groveling. What I mean is that they have their feet planted firmly mm-hmm. on the humus. Mm-hmm. They know their their own selves very well. They know what their physical limitations are. They know when they need to reach out for help. They're not embarrassed to do that. They surround themselves with people that they have vetted who can be there to plug the holes for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know when they're going to go off the rails so that they don't do that. Or if they find that happening... They immediately get the help they need. That's what I noticed to be true about these high-level people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's. can we just take a few moments, Doc, and talk about what is stress? Let's just define our term here. I love starting with bit. definitions. Okay, so let's start with that. I, I'm going to ask you to reflect just a little bit on the physiological mm-hmm. side of, of stress. Um, and, and maybe while you're sort of going through your encyclopedic memory of this kind of thing, because oh, yeah. you are an ER doc after all as well, <laughs> you know. Um, one of the things that, that I remember is that um, stress is any kind of a challenge to our homeostasis. That mm-hmm. is, our sort of uh, un, unmoved place where we are. And... Um, the higher the potential for damage or distress, the higher will be the stress level, right? Yeah, I'm tracking. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only persons that uh, – I think I mentioned this to you before – the only persons that are having absolutely no stress are the ones that are in the morgue. 100%. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but let's talk a little bit about the physiological side of stress. Because so, mm-hmm. people should know what the, what the symptoms are that they're experiencing mm-hmm. so they can address those. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So you want the symptoms of stress? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it would be um, in, in the uh, mildest form, it would just be um, probably subconscious. I mean, it would be um, y- you might not be aware of an increased heart rate. Breathing pattern might change. Right. Body temperature might change. Blood pressure goes up. Blood pressure changes. Right. Um, um, certainly um, uh, a heightened sensitivity to uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving along, your physiology would become more and more intense. Uh, and at some point, somebody would become aware of a faster heart rate, blood pressure. Maybe they're feeling flush at this point. Maybe right. – um, 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 they're starting to get a little jittery. And as it continues to move through that spectrum of intensity, you could get palpitations. You could start hyperventilating, feeling numb. To, you know, this is where people start to talk about panicking and anxiety. Right. And then it becomes – and if you stay in that state long enough, you will keep your physiology changed and suboptimal for so long that it can be difficult to recover on your own. You can change the chemistries in your blood, and and, and, and certainly you might end up in the ER and right. uh, with a full-blown yeah. uh, panic attack. Right. But 
And over time, if I understand correctly, and you're the one that could critique me on this, but if we have like um, cortisol levels that are high, which of course we need in a in a dangerous situation where we're running from the bad guy or we're yes. overcoming the attacker or whatever it may be, but if they stay too high too long over time, then that begins to degrade the body, and we get all of sorts course. of other. So for our high performing people, <clears throat> we need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves, right? So we've got to have plenty of sleep, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. need to avoid alcohol um, too, or overconsumption of it, I should say, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to recognize when we're loading our plate up too much and when to offload a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So all the things that are involved in self-care, we, we need to be taking care of those things. Yes. Uh, I may have just gotten a little bit ahead of our program. No, it's okay. Here, but... It's okay. And I mean, I, I think, <clears throat> you know, this is a, um, this is a, there's a lot of angles that, that we could choose to, to, to approach this topic. I'm fascinated um, as a physician with the notion that we live in a world that is binary and that we live in a world that you either have or don't have things or um, and it's an all or nothing phenomena. I, I, my understanding of human physiology and my experience with real people is that nobody wakes up one day with a heart attack. Nobody wakes up one day with cancer. Nobody wakes up one day depressed. This is a journey that they've mm-hmm. been on. Absolutely. It's a spectrum. And on each end of the spectrum, you have optimal, which is the best case scenario, which is your best self performing at the highest level, essentially all upside, no downside. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, you have end stage disease. That thing will kill you. Right. If you get depressed enough, you will die. Yep. If... You have bad enough blood pressure, you will stroke out if you ha- you know go on and on and on. I'm fascinated when it comes to the practical application of treating real people one on one as you and I do, where we are recognizing that our client is somewhere on the spectrum of the disease that we are concerned about. There's no way to get off that spectrum. I mean, as long as you're alive, you're either moving towards or away any disease you want to talk about. Exactly. And so specifically around anxiety, stress, where 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 do we get involved? And when we do get involved, what what are the conversations we need to be having to help folks identify these things? Like, for example, I heard a story one time about, um, and I, I believe these, I don't remember exactly which celebrity characters these were, but there was somebody speaking on behalf of working with two different celebrity characters. Mm-hmm. And they were both very, very household name type people. And this person was talking about how one of these celebrities was coming to him saying, I'm riddled with anxiety, I'm overwhelmed, um, 
I, I feel my heart racing, my palms sweating, my breathing changes. And that's how I know a panic attack is coming. Like I can feel all these things happen. And he went on to kind of tell some more filler detail. And then he moves on to the second part of the story, which is this other person who I remember him saying was Bruce Springsteen. That's what I remember. I don't remember who the other celebrity was, but something about how he finally got one of his childhood dreams to meet Bruce before a show and said, you know, something along the lines of, Hey Bruce, like, how do you, you've been doing this for so long? Like, how do you, how do you keep getting up for it? Like, is it still exciting for you? Do you, and he goes, man, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I get sweaty in my palms. I feel my heart racing. Mm-hmm. I can feel my breathing changes. And yeah. that's how I know I'm locked in right. and that I'm about to go. So these physiologic responses these two humans had were the exact same physiologic response. But right. one person right. was a sign that it was panic attack impending. And the other one was like, that's how I know I'm locked in. That just blows my mind. Yeah, one is experiencing dread, and the other is experiencing himself about to go in and do what he loves to From do. From the, the exact same stimulus, right? Which, yeah. which is, which is remarkable to me. Can you can can you talk to me a little bit about this stress spectrum? I, I would like to kind of get your perspective on. We t- we identified what the ideal looks like somewhere in the middle where. You're able to navigate stress. You identify when it's getting unhealthy, and you have systems in place that you know how to offload or divert or pivot. But let's talk about what does stress look like when it's suboptimally low? And then I'd like to talk about what that looks like when it's suboptimally high. Um, Thankfully, most of my clients don't struggle with suboptimal stress that they tend to live in this upper quartile of of normal of stress. Um, But what does that spectrum look like for you as somebody who deals with this every day? Yeah. So I think that the suboptimal level uh, looks a lot like depression. Mm. There's no, there's no sort of forward inner energy. And paradoxically that depression can come from being overstressed. So the person has a sense of, I'll never catch up with this. I can't, I can't accomplish this. And so they fall into a more depressed well, that's state. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. So they go through the mental exercise of actually, because they're feeling not enough stress, they actually sit in an environment where they recognize all that needs to be done. And because they can't, they don't feel the the, the stress enough to move, they actually go to the end result and say, well, there's no way I can do that. So I get the same overwhelm, but because it's too much to do. It's too much to do. And they may have gotten there because they did push themselves too much mm. and their bodies were overwhelmed as well as their psyches. So, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. been some interesting research um, in the area of mindfulness mm-hmm. and in the area of self-compassion. Um, there was a study done with um, uh, with Korean firefighters and uh, learning how to utilize self-compassion, hmm. and it decreased their stress significantly. And then there was another study done, and this was just within the last couple of years, with clinical psychologists or clinical psychologist trainees. I don't remember exactly which mm-hmm. it was, but at any rate, doing the same thing. Um, and that was around mindfulness, which is noticing our thoughts – and just noticing them. Thinking about your thinking. Thinking about your thinking 
and recognizing that I don't have to necessarily believe what it is I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you personally, uh, so personal story, I moved uh, from San Diego with two elderly parents in tow in uh, 2011. I'm an only mm-hmm. child. I felt it was my responsibility to take care of these two people, mm-hmm. one of which was um, in middle-stage Alzheimer's and the mm-hmm. other one not able to physically get around, going mm-hmm. from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I moved them here in 2011 to be with me. I moved from California as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd already gotten my license in this state so I could set up a, a practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And in the midst of getting the, after I'd gotten them settled and opened up my practice, I remember being overcome with a panic attack, mm. okay? Just mm. severe anxiety. Mm. And it was because my thinking was all going in a sort of a self-deprecating kind of way, worst-case scenario, and I had to stop. I actually had to say to myself out loud, stop it, mm. come back to your breath. Start breathing. Just get back in your body again as a way of letting go the what I call the crazy thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were crazy. And the truth is, everybody who's listening to this has had crazy thoughts. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's listening to this has at one time or another thought, you know, it might just be easier if I wasn't here. Not that they planned a suicide, but... They probably had the thought, it just would be easier if I wasn't anymore. So what we learn from mindfulness and self-compassion is to acknowledge that I'm, I'm not an outlier. That's part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to consider what it is I'm going through. I'm going to notice my thoughts And some of them, I'm going to detach from those thoughts. So one of the things I do in therapy, just about with everybody who comes in, is I teach them what's called mindfulness breathing. And all it is is sitting for about three minutes, focusing on their breath. And with every errant thought they have, it doesn't matter. It could be pick up the dog food, go get the dry cleaning. Every distracting thought they have, they acknowledge it. They don't push it away. They just come back to their breath, and they begin to get it into their neurology, how to calm themselves. What I see in successful executive types is that they don't panic over things when they go wrong. They go, oh, well, there's another challenge, and they separate the challenge from who they are. They, Mm -hmm. if you will, breathe into Mm -hmm. it, okay, so that they don't begin to fall apart when it looks like the situation might fall apart. Yeah, that calm under fire. That's right. And that's Mm. practiced. Mm. You can acquire the ability Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, it's almost like I I see almost a um, almost a a um, what am I trying to say? A, A a an ability to tolerate a certain level, like for example, a, a certain thing might be stressful in the beginning, but then once you build up enough belief around that that it's possible, all of a sudden that's not overwhelming. It's the next thing, and and your threshold right. for your um, whether it's risk risk tolerance, economic tolerance, exposure tolerance, um, you know, impact. To- 
everyone is on a journey and we all start with a very low threshold of tolerance right. f- for being stressed. Uh, and, and, and as we move through that, some people are able to create um, patterns, behaviors, rituals, processes that keep them centered. Certainly breathing is a very fascinating topic for me. Right. Um, prayer life, uh, home life, um, uh, you know, uh, distributing and outsourcing work to people as opposed to just continue. Everybody has their different thing, but the things that I see that are consistent are people who become overwhelmed under stressful environments don't have those same behaviors, systems, and processes in place. That's right. They don't. Um, it's bio, psycho, social, spiritual. All four have to be in, blended together mm-hmm. to, to really be um, vibrant and mm-hmm. resilient. Resilience is so important to mm-hmm. cultivate. Oh. Absolutely. Now – if I asked you, let me just ask this question. Would you say that a person with high self-esteem has a better chance of being resilient under high pressure than a person with low self-esteem? Um, intuitively, I would say yes. And you'd be right. Here's what I like to say about self-esteem. And um, I was like feeling the pressure there. I was like, I hope I don't get this wrong. <laughs> Um, And I'm going to guess that a number of people out there are parents and they want their kids to have high self-esteem. Oh, I would hope so. Right. You cannot give your children high self-esteem. It's impossible. Mm. You can create an environment Mm -hmm. for them to achieve high Mm self-esteem. But here's what esteem is. It's the reputation that we build with ourselves. Oh, wow. This is good. And every time we successfully navigate a challenge, we build a little more on that reputation with ourselves, right? And when we have had something that's been, you know, painfully challenging, and we've learned from it, then we need, instead of condemning ourselves for not doing perfectly the first time, we need to say, okay, course correction, I, I recognize what I need to do differently next time. I'm going to do it differently next time. And then we do – and then we raise our self-esteem that much more. Mm. <clears throat> so little setbacks need to be seen not as moments to condemn ourselves. This, is, this is, goes back to the idea of let's keep our feet on terra firma. Let's be humble. Mm-hmm. Not groveling, but mm. grounded, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're grounded and we say to ourselves, okay, I learned and now I'm going to build on that learning. Any advancement in science comes through what? Trial and error. Mm-hmm. And then new insight and then more trial and error built on that. Uh, and that's, that's true of anything, any place where we're making progress. So continue. I'm still spinning a little bit. Over? Over self-esteem isn't parented. This is a – this is a – feels very rich, this, this, that, that concept – I I'm a consider myself a a thinker. Yeah, you um, are. I I spend a lot of time pondering um, um, and trying to have meaningful thoughts that ultimately will lead to meaningful revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, I over the past this is self esteem is a topic that I don't talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, but internally, it's a conversation I have. Often, mm-hmm. it, 
mostly from the perspective of, oh my gosh, self-esteem is so underrated. I'm not talking about pride and like, I'm just talking about belief in oneself, the the ability to look life in the face and, and say, say, I got it. I got this. That this life is happening for me, not to me. And whatever right. you bring, I have either the creativity, the wisdom, the insight, the relationship, the love, the connection that I will, I will either find a way around you or through you. Right. And, and for me, that's self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as a parent of two young um, boys, I often think about – because I, I'm an observer of people and I see folks – success, however you want to – that's a totally different conversation. I, I see some of the most successful people on the planet. I take care of them. Yes. Meanwhile, their self-esteem, it's in the toilet. Yeah. Like th- – the way they talk to themselves about themselves, right. if there were another human being anywhere in proximity to them that spoke to them that way, they would cease to have relationship. They would cut them out of their life. Yet, in the quiet time, these people, regardless of their economic success or their place in society, self-esteem has been a topic that I'm just like, my goodness, I mean – if I could impart only a handful of things to my two sons, I have been thinking a lot about the value of imparting self-esteem. The way you're positioning this is really fascinating to me because it also blends into another belief around I need – being a good parent isn't slaying all of their dragons. It's not about – preventing a life, creating a life that doesn't afford them any challenges or opportunities to prove to themselves that they're capable. Right. And, and, and I, 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 I'm kind of thinking through this on the fly, which is really neat and doesn't happen to me all the time, but this is a really neat concept that I'm going to spend more time thinking about right. because self-esteem matters. That's what I know fundamentally self-esteem, a holistic approach to success includes emotional health, spiritual right. health. And I know zero people who have low self-esteem who aren't struggling spiritually or struggling interpersonally or struggling with depression, anxiety. Right. Exactly. It's fascinating. Um, so Sorry, I just kind of went off on No, that. I mean, like, I, that's perfect. Um, you struck a chord because it's something that I, 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 I have been spending a lot of time thinking about. How can I be a better parent? Right. And then you're telling me that or suggesting that self-esteem is born within the souls of my two sons, right? Um, not imparted from me. It really is handcrafted, and it's an inside job. Mm. But are, so are you? I just want to stay here just for one more second for my own selfish right. reasons. Right. So we both agree that self-esteem is one of the the critical variables to to fulfillment, to success, and managing stress, and managing stress, absolutely. But as a parent, our role is to help cultivate an ecosystem or an environment where our children are given opportunities to identify challenges and then maybe coached up on how to overcome them so that they build – like, 
Can you yes. talk more about yes. that? So let me pare this down. This is good. To four simple principles uh-huh. uh, of parenting, starting with um, starting with one of your boys sitting on your lap when he was a just a little one. Okay, right at that that stage of crawling, walking. Right. Yep. Okay. So he's on your lap, and there's a puppy dog on the other side of the room. Sounds like our house. Right. Okay. <laughs> and he notices the puppy dog and he looks up at you and he looks at the dog and he looks at you and he looks at the dog. Is this okay? He, is this safe? Yeah. Is this safe? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you look at him and you say, hey, buddy, you want to go see that puppy? Yeah. Puppy. Mm-hmm. So you put him down on the floor and what does he do? Touches what? the puppy. Well, puppy's across the room at this oh, okay. point. So what what does he do? He moves towards the puppy mm-hmm. and then turns around, looks over his shoulder, right? Am I still okay? Am I still okay? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? And you look at him, you go, go for it. Mm-hmm. Go for it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're encouraging him, mm-hmm. right? And he may crawl a little bit further or toddle a little bit more and then looks back one more time. Are we okay? Yeah. So finally he gets to the puppy and he starts petting the puppy and then he looks over for more what? Affirmation. Mm-hmm. You're doing it okay. So mm-hmm. you go for it. You're doing great. Good boy. Good boy, good puppy. Everything's going along swimmingly until he finds the puppy's tail and gives a little bit of a tug. Mm-hmm. And the puppy nips the air, right? Mm-hmm. And a good enough parent, not a perfect parent, but a good enough parent leaps across the yep. room. Removes him from the situation. Right. Scoops him up. So the first step is encouragement. Mm-hmm. The second step is rescue, right? Mm. Now, that's a little bit traumatizing. There's some stress that this kid has experienced at this point in time. His blood pressure has increased, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the heart rate's increased a little because he got nipped at. Yeah. So you encourage, you rescue, and then you comfort, mm-hmm. right? And then you, the fourth thing is you gently and lovingly correct. We don't pull puppy's tail. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. You're a good boy, good puppy, and you normalize things. And he goes back to homeostasis. So, again, encourage, rescue, rescue. correct, comfort. and lovingly, gently, and comfort. And comfort, then, then correct. Yeah, then mm-hmm. correct. I was right? taking notes. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> okay. Now, if a parent does that good enough, not perfectly, mm-hmm. we internalize that. We take that into ourselves, mm-hmm. and then for the remainder of our lives— Brian gets throws the covers back when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and says, okay, get your backside out of bed. Mm-hmm. You can do this, buddy. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you become your own encourager. Right. I become my own parent. Mm-hmm. And we do that for the rest of our lives. This is, this is a really, really rich topic. And then we find ways to even rescue ourselves or That's build right. systems. And That's right. And then we, we comfort ourselves when we, when, once we pulled ourselves back mm-hmm. from the precipice of destruction. Yeah. Reevaluate. And we go, Where did okay. I go wrong? What and, went right? Right. And, and then we gently and lovingly correct. And this is the thing that I see missing so often people. They mm. berate themselves. Oh, my God, I was so stupid. How could I ever? shame. Been? They shame mm-hmm. themselves. Exactly. Which right. step they, is that? Which? Three? Comfort? Um, or encouraging. Courage and rescue and uh, comfort and lovingly correct. Yeah. So it's the fourth stage mm-hmm. is the correction. So sh- shame, you're suggesting that maybe shame is becomes seeded in this fourth step. 
Right, if it's not done correctly, mm-hmm. right? The potential for shame is here. Right, right. So that's why I always say lovingly correct, mm-hmm. and we need to lovingly correct ourselves. And one of the things that was interesting with the study of the um, Korean firefighters, <clears throat> one of the components of their mindfulness was recognizing their connection with the rest of humanity. In other words, what I'm experiencing is not foreign to the experience of other human beings. Mm -hmm. I'm not an outlier. I'm not an oddball. I'm just having a human experience, Mm -hmm. and I need to give myself the same compassion that I would to my neighbor. Aaron, it's, it's, it's all about balance and not overstating things to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to think about the things we think about. We need to examine how we talk to ourselves mm-hmm. and oftentimes rephrase things. A good deal of what I do with people from mm-hmm. 18 to 80 is reparenting so that they finally walk out of my office doing those four things for themselves. Total side rail here. Yeah. Inject them, maybe a little comedy. And can I cough for a second? Yeah, please do. <coughs> Thank you. You ever watch um, that show? No, because I have Hulu, Doctor. That's all I've got. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if it's still on the air, but that Caesar guy, the dog whisperer. The, the, I have seen an episode of that, yeah. Well, if you've seen one, you've seen 7,000 of them. Oh, okay. There are essentially 7,000 versions of the following story. Dog has behavior that is unwanted um, on some spectrum of destructive, non-compatible with the family. Right. Caesar walks in, spends some period of time evaluating the situation. Caesar then goes to the owners of the dog and says, the problem's you. Mm -hmm. Then he corrects the owners of the dog, does some sort of corrective action with the dog, Assumes the alpha position, mm-hmm. and that might be a little bit confrontational. Right. But most of these dogs are scared out of their mind, and they're acting out of – they're feeding off of their owners. Right. Um, and, and then he, he corrects dog, right. has already got parents of dog to stop doing whatever it is they're doing, right. and then dog and family live happily ever after. But right. it's always the parent. It's the parenting. Right. It's right. – it, I don't know why I thought of that, but that, that is... Uh... Well, and let's go back to the, what we were talking about then, and that's a great, that's a great analogy. Um, again, the parents can't do the behavior of the child. The owner of the dog can't do the behavior of the dog. Correct. They can only create an environment for that behavior to happen. Yes. So I'm totally all about loving on kids. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Listen, my father lived to be 90 years of age. I didn't leave his presence without getting a hug. Okay, mm-hmm. my entire life. Mm-hmm. You can't love your kids too much. Mm-hmm. You can't. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you can do is to take away from them the opportunities mm-hmm. to accomplish their own goals and achieve their own rewards. And mm-hmm. you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, no, it's good. And I mean... So this 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 notion of stress and how we manage stress, um, I got you a little bit, huh? Yeah, that's good. It's raw. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I felt it. Um, He's yeah. 
dad still parenting inside of me. Yeah. No, that's that's good, man. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I'll make sure both of us don't lose it because I lost my dad five years ago, so we can't both. Yeah, we can't go there. <laughs> we can't. We can't both lose it on the same episode. Yeah. Um, so you know, back to stress management. Um, would you suggest that the folks who historically are having trouble? For the f- so this this is what I hear all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. from somebody who I identify as they're struggling managing their stress. Right, their stress has the upper hand. Mm. My clinical experience is the following statement: I'm just really stressed. Mm-hmm. For me, that's code for a lot of different things. Right. Um, but these are highly successful people. These guys from the outside look at guys and gals. I'm sorry. That's probably not a, these yeah, people, people from the outside looking in, they're checking all the boxes. Mm-hmm. They've got the house, the cars, the family, the kids, the social status, country club membership. Yeah. Everything. You know, right. Everything. Yep, yep. Um, and they're, they but are, their day to day existence mm-hmm. is preoccupied with, Essentially, the following two things. How am I going to navigate today and not have a nervous breakdown? Right. And then when I do fit somehow miraculously survive a whole day, mm-hmm. how do I lay my head down and go to sleep? Because my brain doesn't turn off. It, I don't have great solutions for those folks, mm-hmm. which is why I'm creating this episode. Right. Right. If, that, if there's somebody listening to this and they're like, these guys are like describing my life. Right. What are some things that, that do you have three or four tips or tricks or easy to deploy easy, reproducible, simple tips to better manage this? I mean, where do you even start with somebody like that who, You know, I mean, I can tell them, all right, well, you need to work out. All right, well, you need a little bit of sleep. Well, you need some more quiet time. You need some prayer time. You need fitness. Most mm-hmm. of these people aren't exercising. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. Most of them aren't eating right. Most of them are consuming probably too much alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but behaviorally, that some things that don't seem to add to the overwhelm that they can do, what, what are some things So the challenge is, as you well know, is that when busy people are feeling overwhelmed by their busyness, giving them one more thing to do to help them not feel overwhelmed by their busyness, Mm -hmm. right? Is there a way we could take something away from them? Well, there you go. And I think part of it is they have to decide what... What their main thing is. Mm. What's most important? Like their their North Star? Their North Star, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, you know that um, we, 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 whatever direction you tend to roll a ball in, it's going to continue to go in that direction unless something else takes it off course. Right? Oh, yeah. Wow. And so they have to make some decisions about what's most important in their lives. They really have to make that existential kind of decision. Mm-hmm. And so I always ask people, what's your goal? 
you know, what's your goal? And like they'll be telling me about a conflict they're having with some member of their family. And I'll ask them, what is your goal? Well, you know, she really needs to understand what I'm going through or he really needs to do this. And What's your goal? Do you want to have a peace with this person? Do you want to win an argument? Mm-hmm. Do you want to get them to believe what you believe? What's your goal? Hmm. <clears throat> so it's, a, it's really a deep, and now I'm going to use the word spiritual. It's a deep spiritual issue for folks like this. They, they need to assess what their deepest values are. Then they need to look at where their energy is going. Because <clears throat> we will move in the direction of our most dominant thought. Mm-hmm. If holding on to my status is what's most important to me, I will continue to repeat the same behaviors yeah. over and over and over again. It's like the rat in the cage that's pushing that little lever to get the pellet that comes out on a non-scheduled format so it's intermittent. They'll continue to push that little mm-hmm. lever until their paws are raw, you know? So it's like when people decide uh, that they're consuming too much alcohol and they want my help to stop, I have to ask them, are you ready? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. If you're not ready, nothing's going to change. I don't have a wand. I'm not Harry Potter. But if you're really ready to make some changes, then we can look at this. I had a couple recently I was working with. And I won't go into, uh, and when, by the way, whenever I tell stories, I, I never tell them the way that you would ever know who I'm talking about. Right. I want to make that clear to you and to all of your listeners. I okay. understand. So there's a couple who are quibbling over, let's just say a housekeeping matter, right? Okay. Okay. And a difference of, of, uh, of opinion on who's, who should have the responsibility. And I looked at them and I said, have you thought about getting a housekeeper? I mean, there are creative ways. You don't yeah. have to win the argument about what he should do or she should do. You can outsource say, it. You can outsource it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one example. What's your goal? Yeah, no, that's good. So let's just say I'm coming to see you and I'm saying, and you say, what brings you in here, Aaron? How can I help you? And I say, well, Doc, I feel I got trouble sleeping. Because mm-hmm. my mind doesn't ever turn off. Mm-hmm. I'm I got so much going on. I, I'm just I just feel anxious all the time. I don't want to take any anti anxiety medicine because I'm afraid of the addictive properties there. But yet this anxiety is really standing in the way, um, and it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my health. Um, mm-hmm. And and but most importantly, I I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Where where would you begin that conversation? What what are or, or moreover, let's just fast forward to the end of that session. What would be two or three things that you would charge me to go out and think about and exercise um, or begin to practice in order to map me towards the yeah. goal of yeah. not being overwhelmed with – to to reduce mm-hmm. or eliminate overwhelm and sleep better? Right. Um, well, to paraphrase a guy named Jesus <laughs> – I would ask you if small historical character, right? Yeah, I would ask you if if by worrying you have ever corrected something that was mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're honest with me, you will tell me that when you wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning, because that's usually the time when Seems like people, 2 to 3, isn't it? When people wake mm-hmm. up, I, I say that's when the, the, the demons come out to play. <laughs> and I'm using that. And it's of, just enough sleep that you're probably in a stressful environment probably too stimulated to go back to right, sleep. There's right. the physiology yeah. behind it, too. Right, of course. Or but it could right. be demons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using that metaphorically. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, they begin to, to loop. The, and, you know, and this is mm-hmm. akin to obsessive-compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. They begin to loop mm-hmm. through thinking mm-hmm. as if by thinking about this long enough, I'm going to actually change what's going on in the universe. And my experience is because I've awakened at two in the morning with my hands balled up and fists, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And my body tight across the shoulders. And I, I recognize that I'm, I'm thinking through something as if thinking about it is going to change it. In those times, what I have to do is recognize the physical signs of stress and begin to systematically let them go. So I just simply open up my hands, okay? And um, be aware that my hands are now open and they're not, in, they're not balled up in a fist. And I begin to focus on my breath over and over again. And with every time I get distracted to go back to looping through, mm-hmm. I draw my attention back to my breath. Now, I've, I've practiced this. And I want to take a moment, uh, just a, a side note about That's practice, good. okay? <clears throat> Let's say uh, you like football, right? Very much. Okay. So before the first practice game is ever played. Both football, football and, and, football. and American football. Okay. I like them both. Okay. Well, I don't know about how they practice for football, but for <laughs> American football, yes. I do know there are a lot of drills that are done. Oh, yeah. Right? So can you name some of the drills maybe? Or we can name them together? Um, there's footwork drills. There's agility drills. There's speed drills. There's um, resistance Passing drills, drills passing. kicking drills, yep. mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, right. So are any of those things in and of themselves the game of football? No. No. Are they all skills that are necessary to have ingrained in one's neurology so that yes. when the times comes for the game, yes. you just those neural pathways, it right. has to be automatic. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's why I tell people, sit for five minutes in the morning, mm-hmm. sit for five minutes in the evening. Mm-hmm. Do a mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. It, it, by the way, if any of your hearers are interested, I've got a free handout. I'll send them on how to do mindfulness Great. meditation. And it ties in cognitive therapy uh, as well as some behavioral therapy Excellent. as well. Okay. So anyway. Yeah. But anyway, do the mindfulness breathing so that you, your body knows how to calm itself so that when you do wake up in the morning, you start breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. And begin to feel your body relaxing. Mm-hmm. And you go back to sleep. And maybe you wake up again in 10 minutes, and that happens. And you do it again. Mm-hmm. And then you find that, oh, I was fine. And the next thing you know, the sun's coming up. I've had that experience many times. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I sleep through the night now. Yeah. Because I recognize I, I, I can't do anything about it that's productive. So the mindful... Br- um breathing exercise right. i i love that I, I don't i might do it and i'm not aware of it mm-hmm. um i don't do it intentionally but i know a lot of really smart people that i admire make that a very intentional practice right. whether they're needing to break the loop 
Right. Or they're just trying to begin the day in a state that's very grounded and very peaceful right. and very focused. And then what happens is throughout the day, when the anxiety-provoking issue comes up, mm-hmm. the overwhelm comes up, the stress feels too high, mm-hmm. they simply they take a nice deep breath in through their nose, out through their mouth, the body begins to settle. It's like recalibrating even, to where... To, to, to what they just were in touch with this morning. We know. We know from the actual science, and I don't have it at my fingertips at the moment, but we know that three minutes of mindfulness meditation actually changes the brain chemistry. 100%. Okay, yeah. well, there, folks, you have a medical doctor affirming <laughs> the psychotherapist. No, no, no the... Um no, listen, I mean... It's true. It's not, and, and it's not debatable because just breathing alone changes your blood gas. Right. And so when your CO2 and oxygen levels get altered, I mean, when somebody has a panic attack and they're feeling like they're going to pass out and they have numbness and tingling in their lips and their face and their fingertips, that's not a stroke. That's, no. That's right. their blood chemistries are off. Right. Because they're blowing off too much carbon dioxide. That's why you breathe right. in a bag to re- – right. like, right. physio- your physiology changes. Right. And if people are ex- – begin to experience that, <clears throat> I would encourage them to do the breathing, mm-hmm. not, not, not hyperventilating, but just mindfulness breathing. And don't run from the physical feelings. In other words, that feeling of uh, pins and needles mm-hmm. rising up from your chest through mm-hmm. your face, you mm-hmm. know, the, the vasodilation. Is that mm-hmm. what's happening, right? Uh, it, it, can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. The, the, okay. the physiology can get a little complex, but. Okay. So um, when you're experiencing but yes, the flushing that, is the flushing, vas- right, right. vasodilation. Just notice it. It's not the end of the world. Say to yourself, I am experiencing symptoms, and that will put a little distance between you and the, and the mm-hmm. symptom. You are not your symptoms. Yeah, you're recognizing that they're there. You're recognizing that they're there. It will pass. And I tell people it's kind of like looking at a bell-shaped curve. It rises to the top, and then it goes down the other side, right? Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. – uh, yeah. So um, – and the more people the more people can contain themselves, notice their symptoms mm-hmm. – but not run from them, the more mastery they will get over them and the fewer panic attacks they will actually have over time. No, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm, my mind is just racing with other analogous situations. I mean, um, I, I grew up in San Diego. I grew up swimming in the ocean. I, I grew up understanding water safety. I, I, spent, I was in the military. I, I, when you're in a dangerous situation – one of the things that you get trained for is to recognize the situation. I am in a riptide. Right. There, I did not cause the riptide. It's not my fault. Right. But I, nonetheless, I am in a riptide. Right. Nonetheless, I am in a situation that my safety is compromised. I must now – so the first step is acknowledging it in right. any type of right. traumatic situation where um, acknowledging I, – I, I like that. That's really good. So – so this mindfulness, and, and obviously if you're stuck underwater in a rip current, you can't do mindful breathing, but being mindful of the fact that um, of, of, of the situation, and, and you go back to your, your neurology, you go back to the right. programming, right. you don't fight it. You preserve that energy for when right. you come up. And, and, you, you can, and you can use some self-cognitive therapy, which is simply to, to gain some perspective. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was first ordained, and I, was, uh, I served uh, as uh, an associate pastor in a large parish, mm-hmm. and I was 
<clears throat> I was one, two, three, four, fifth in the pecking order. Okay, mm. there was the senior pastor, then there was the senior pastor's wife, mm. and there was the retired associate pastor. Oh, you were way down. And his wife, mm-hmm. and then there was me. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember one time I was just a young guy; I was like twenty-five, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said something in a sermon, and I went home, and I absolutely panicked. Oh my God, what did they hear? You know, mm-hmm. did they hear it the wrong way? I wonder if I'm going to be in trouble for this. Play you the know, tape back. Let me the, hear yeah. it. <laughs> and. Um, and I remember lying in my bed in my apartment and thinking, I'm having a panic attack. Hmm. And then I began to think, how bad is my problem compared to the problem of all the people that live on the floor of this apartment house I'm in? Hmm. And then how bad it, is it with regard to the entire complex? And then I went up a 1,000 feet in my imagination. How bad is my little concern mm-hmm. with regard to everybody that lives in a square mile? Mm-hmm. You know, I got up that high and I thought, oh. Shoot, I don't. I need to roll over and go back to sleep. In, no, that, in that, other words, you, getting, you were able to deploy some perspective right, in that moment. Right, right, and and a lot of people don't. They mm-hmm. they become the problem. They merge with the problem. Yeah. And so one of the skills to address stress is to distinguish yourself from the issue. And that's gained through this mindfulness. Through mindfulness, and also it, it, through the practice of the self parenting, right. So I want to come to a yeah, quick, quick yeah. question. Do you, your boys, they're just little boys. Do, would you love them no matter what? Uh, yes. Might uh, not always agree with them, y- uh, y- but you yeah. will always care for them. Of course. Of course. Of course. Why don't we do that for ourselves? Well, that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I mean, I'm really. When, when the going gets tough and the anxiety comes, we need to remember that our first priority needs to be continuing to love, accept, and love ourselves. And when people come to me and they want to make major changes, I say, that's great, but we have to start with what is. If you don't accept and love what is, you can't change it. So whether somebody's struggling to go back to sleep because they don't know whether they're going to get a nastogram from their boss or not, which they have no control over, but yet it's affecting their sleep, or it's some sort of thing through the day that they're just in a loop, fretting over, stressing over, and it is completely affecting their life. The, the, if I'm hearing you, the strategy is you've got to break the loop. because this is to break the loop. And, and get real with yourself. In a hundred years, will this issue matter? So would you say the first step to breaking a loop, this pattern of cyclical thinking that becomes obsessive and then ultimately leads to overwhelm and an unhealthy level of stress, um, what are the three things that somebody can do tonight if they find themselves in that situation? Step number one is what? Recognize I'm looping. And this is craziness and not helpful. So just uh, a recognition that you said this earlier. Uh, I was, I'm was i trying to take some notes. You said um, recognize that you are not the symptom. Is that what? Yeah. Well, if you're experiencing anxiety, I am, I am distinct from my symptoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm ex- um, <clears throat> but if you're recognizing that you're looping, I mean, just say that to yourself. I'm looping. This is not productive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then step number two would be what? After you've identified, all right, 
I'm just replaying oh the same thing right, over and over right, again. Right. Then I would. How do you break that? The, well, the first thing is recognizing yep. it. The second thing is decide that that you want to get centered and calm yourself down. <clears throat> so sit in a chair and uh, ad- adopt simply a very comfortable position. Start breathing in through your nose and then out through your mouth slowly. So about four times longer exhale than So inhale. this is the mindfulness breathing. This is the mindfulness breathing, right? And start drawing your attention back to your breath in and out. I would set the timer on my phone for three, three minutes, just three minutes. And then notice after three minutes of just continuing to do the breathing, and you don't have to do it perfectly, mm-hmm. any subtle changes of relaxation in your body. Well, there's a little less tension here, mm-hmm. okay? And if it feels good to you, continue to do some more of it. Um, other things is sometimes we need to break up where we are. So if, if I'm at home and I'm alone and I'm looping, I remember doing this once when I was in that high-pressure situation mm-hmm. of caring for two parents mm-hmm. and getting a practice going, all of that. I looked at the dog that I had adopted, mm-hmm. and I said, Dad's driving himself crazy. We need to go for a walk. Mm. And, so and a little physical breaks right. the loop? Yeah, get out of the environment that you're in. Change ah, the environment. Change yeah, environment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so, and just a, a quick aside. So <laughs> you know how we, we – You've heard of the imposter syndrome. Oh, you yeah. Know? And yeah, I mean, I was experiencing a few moments of that back then. And, and the funny, ironic thing was, and some would call it a God thing, and I kind of think it was myself, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I went out for a walk with my dog, and um, halfway around the block, I saw a young lady that I had, well, I mean, I'd seen her, and I'd seen her partner before, and said hello, just pleasantries out walking, and <clears throat> she she saw me, and uh, she burst into tears. And I, I asked her what was wrong. We ended up talking, mm-hmm. and I was able to help her calm down. And her partner came and joined us later, and it was all good. But what I'm saying is it felt like just as I was questioning myself, somebody who needed me was thrown mm-hmm. right in front of my path. No, I love that. And, I mean, isn't that the whole idea of group, right? I mean, whether you're talking about a weight loss group um, a, a group in recovery or, or, or just there's something about the human experience that when left with nothing to worry about but ourselves, we yeah. loop about ourselves. That's right. And one of the most powerful ways to break someone's inward-looking, self-thinking, loopy, emotional journey is to immediately be disrupted by getting involved in somebody else's That's challenge. Right. Yeah, Robert Schuler used to say, um, uh, "Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it." Mm. That was part of um, the power of positive thinking and the his little formula to help people heal from mm-hmm. shame and mm-hmm. and self doubt. He was right. One of one of the things that I've learned a lot. Uh, in the world of addiction is from a dear friend of mine um, who, you know, turned to alcohol later in his life with no real history earlier because of uh, an emotional relationship trauma that took place and essentially really suffered dire consequences because of, of, of his newfound relationship with alcohol. Mm. 
And um, mm-hmm. but when I met him, he was far on the other side of recovery. And mm-hmm. um, I remember him telling me one time, I was like, "Hey, buddy, you want to go do something?" I don't remember exactly what we're going to do. He goes, "No, I have a meeting to go to." Yeah. And I go, "What do you mean? Oh, like a what, like a meet like what a are you work up meeting? Yeah, what are you yeah. up to?" He goes, "No, it's um, I, I go to a, a couple of meetings a week, and I." I was like, what kind of meeting are you going to? You know, like, what's this all about? Mm -hmm. He goes, well, I'm actively involved in two meetings, and I I do mentorship for a couple of guys who are in recovery. And I go, are these like AA kind of meetings? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, I had no idea you were still going. I thought you'd been sober for nine years. (laughs) And he goes. That's how I stay sober. That's how I stay sober. Right. I go, you're going to have to tell me more because I'm a, yep. I'm a why guy. Why does that keep you sober? And he said something that was very impactful yep. to me. And he said, every time I walk into that room, I meet a bunch of people. And they remind me that I'm one day away mm-hmm. from being right where they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is an incredibly powerful illustration of what you are saying about this breaking of a loop. Um where my friend could have been overwhelmed and anxious. Am I always going to be under the gun? Am I always going to be micromanaged? Am I always going to be second-guessed or not trusted because of my past? And could I could see him very much become that type of person. But one of the ways he never even goes there is that he's consistently involved in other people who are in the thralls of the fight. And... Right. It, it it was a beautiful illustration of, I think, the point that you're trying to say, which is right. one of the best ways to get out of your own head is to get into somebody else's problem. Right. Go help exactly. somebody. Exactly. Um, because all yeah. you do when you worry and you loop around these thoughts is that you just ruminate on um, – that's where the toxicity comes from because there's no solution. You know, running around the lap one more time does not give you insight. Nope. It just – Makes you better at running that loop. It, it just reminds you of how <clears throat> terrible the situation is, or how much. Yeah, exactly. And a little, just a little bit of biology to, <laughs> for folks is that um, you know, there's a saying that the neurons that fire together wire together. So mm. the, the more we think certain thoughts, yes, the, the more we strengthen the neural network. And this is yep. why cognitive therapy combined with mindfulness actually works because we begin to think different thoughts. If you remember seeing movies of the old switchboard operators Mm -hmm. where they would unplug Mm -hmm. a plug in one place and plug Mm -hmm. it in another to make the connection, well, that's it's a humble picture of the way our brains are wired. And so we have to make choices Mm -hmm. about what we think. And we, sentient creatures, are actually capable of making a decision to think in different patterns and absolutely. to recognize. But you have to create those. Yeah, absolutely. These neural pathways don't just get laid down overnight. Nope. This is why some people rarely ever struggle with anxiety. Those neural pathways don't exist. That's the right. loops don't exist That's for right. them. That's right. Whereas other people, you know, I mean, the breeze can change and anxiety is set in. That's right. And the loop, it is such a familiar neural familiar neural pathway. Right. I mean, it is a super highway. Their brain knows exactly where to go, and it goes right right there. You have to – I think the first step is learning how to break those loops. But the long-term solution is to get in an environment where you can work with a real pro to rewire your neurology. It's absolutely necessary. Exactly. Because you've got to atrophy – 
the pathway that takes you to looping, right. and you've got to construct the new pathway that is resourceful, that is creative, that is a servant, that right. is getting involved. Like these are new habits, new patterns, right. new beliefs, and new rituals. The, the analogy I use for folks is to say, "Listen, you're driving down a, a dirt road in the country, and the, you come to a fork in the road, right? Mm-hmm. And the one has been traveled on, so it's going to have ruts in the road. <clears throat> if you come to that same fork." And you choose to get to the farmhouse by the left path rather than the right path. Mm-hmm. Over time, with the winds and the rains, the right path, which had the ruts in it, will be filled in. It'll no longer be there. Mm-hmm. And the left one that had no ruts will have new ruts in it, mm. carved into it. Mm. So, you know, we have to decide which path we want to go down and then practice that. It takes practice. Yeah. No, and, and uh, you, you know, as we're kind of winding down, I, I, it's fascinating to me. Truth is a beautiful thing. And, and, and what I mean by that is truth begins to manifest and show up in conversations that have nothing to do with any other conversations. But these principles show up all the time. And, all and, the time. And w- without even me anticipating I'm looking at some of my notes as you've been talking, and um, it comes down to decision-making. Absolutely. You know, the quality of our life is really determined by the quality of the decisions that we're making. Right. And the quickest way to make an impact in your life that's meaningful is to make better decisions. Right. And deciding to break a pattern of toxic overwhelm and behaviors that feed you into these positions of being overwhelmed and not underperforming. That's right. That's a, it starts with a, that's it. No more, never again. The next time this shows up, I am going to take some form of action. Even if it's just recognizing Mm -hmm. something as trivial as I'm now feeling anxiety. I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. I have to, change the pattern mm-hmm. um, and then you know obviously this is a very elegant approach uh, once you recognize that y- you have one or two strategies to break the loop whether it's mindful breathing if that doesn't work try it again if that doesn't work change the environment um, go for a walk if that doesn't work call somebody who's long overdue and just say right. I wanted to call because I needed somebody to talk to right. and then You've completely changed your state. And I mean, right. I think those are really great actionable steps for anybody, anywhere, anytime, no matter where you are in life, what level of success you may or may not have. In a moment of overwhelm, people's physiology and biology gets hijacked. Right. Absolutely. And um, this has been so good. I, I want to kind of as we're wrapping up, I just want to ask a couple of other things as we've kind of covered a lot of ground. Is there something else you wanted to say? Yeah, I mean, just that, you know, there are different parts of the brain and uh, the the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of the brain, just above mm-hmm. your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. That's the part that does the thinking. And that when we get into an anxiety state, that goes offline. Oh, yeah. And uh, we go back to the amygdala, which I call the, the smoke detector and fire alarm, right? Oh, that's funny. So, so part of what we have to do is cognitively 
change some ideas about the stimuli that come into our lives mm-hmm. that we perceive as negative. We need to, to reevaluate these things so that the smoke detector is not quite as sensitive and the fire alarm doesn't go off. Mm-hmm. And then we can continue to access that decision-making part of the brain. It's often called the executive functioning mm-hmm. part to then rationally employ our resources mm-hmm. in order to address the issue while we're calming and quieting ourselves and speaking the truth to ourselves and parenting ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So again, yes, the things that, the, that you mentioned are very important. And, and I think just the philosophical idea of what's really important in my life? What's the main thing? What's the main thing? Mm-hmm. You know? I and mean, does this really matter? Right. Because here's what I know. And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have it all figured out. I do not have the market cornered on truth. I am still hunting and searching and discovering my own self. But I have the luxury of sitting in front of and taking care of, honestly, some of the most impressive humans and successful humans that you will ever meet. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Well, let me just play on that for a moment because it reminded me of what my mentor said to me. My late mentor said to me years ago, he said, Brian, human beings are the most fragile creatures and the most resilient creatures Mm -hmm. you'll ever encounter. Mm -hmm. And he was right. We're both. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think you see people who they're amazingly brilliant in some ways. And... They're very broken in others, but that's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, again, about coming down to <clears throat> having our feet on terra firma, n- acknowledging what is, loving what we find, mm-hmm. and then making decisions about where do I want to go from here. That's so right. I, I, I had a, a recall as you were going. Yes. My, my whole point was simply we think – that there are a lot of things that are important. Yep. The truth is that there's about seven things that are important. (laughs) I mean, really. Really. Everything else kind of doesn't matter, isn't true, won't happen, or is fleeting. Right. Like, we're talking about, and I would even debate that outside of uh, the health and well-being of your spiritual um, life as being the most important thing, then if you're lucky enough to have a, a spouse or a significant other, the relationship with that, the most important earthly relationship you have. Uh, but even before that, I would debate right after your spiritual uh, health, what is the health of your self-talk? What that's is your? Part, that's part of your spiritual health. Yeah, you okay. Can't, you can't well, separate. Well, there it out. you go. You can't separate it. You know, I, I, and when we talk about stress and overwhelm and these types of things that cripple, otherwise very successful people who who don't have this in every area of their life, it's usually just a couple of areas, and it's usually over things that don't matter, aren't true, or some story that they've told themselves over and over again since they were young that they believe right and so there just isn't that much that's that important and there's certainly debatably 
either zero or one thing more important than yourself, your relationship with yourself. That's been my experience. Well, as I tell people, if you don't have a, a, a healthy relationship with yourself, you're not available to have a healthy relationship oh with God. anybody. I feel like that's a whole other episode, but <clears> that is, is good. And we need to talk about that, and we need to mm-hmm. talk about relationships and addiction. And I'm not talking about substances. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like love addiction mm-hmm. um, that goes way back to mm-hmm. childhood. Yeah, mm-hmm. But that's for another time. No, it's, it's super good. What are the... Um, What are the when you when you have conversations like, Doc? I need help with stress. Uh, I'm coming in for my anxiety overwhelm, and you you finish that session. What are the things that people never ask that you wish they would? Is there something that aches at you where you wish you had more opportunity to talk about a particular thing, but people just don't tend to ask you? Um, I, I think I'd summarize it this way. They, they want to come in knowing what they need to do. And I often have to help them understand that it's not what they do. It's simply how to be, mm. how to be with themselves in a way that accepts themselves, that mm. loves themselves, mm. <clears throat> that it's a process Healing is a process. I mean, you know that, mm-hmm. that a deep wound is not simply sutured at the top of mm-hmm. the wound or we're going to have a cavity underneath it's going to be a problem. Is that right? Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. That healing, <clears throat> no matter what we're healing from, it's a process. It's a process, and it heals from the bottom up. So mm-hmm. if it got started in childhood, we're going to have to go back to childhood. And that's not about blaming parents. It's about helping them learn how to parent themselves for whatever mm-hmm. the deficit was. Um, yeah, I, I would simply say accept. That doesn't mean you resign yourself to the right. situation. It doesn't mean you're res- not responsible either for your behaviors or your decisions. Right, right. but you simply accept what is mm-hmm. so we can move on from there. But people catastrophize where they are, and they imagine all sorts of um, uh, dire consequences if they like reveal their secret to their spouse or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, but... Uh, you're just going to continue to live with this dis-ease if you Like connect with your truth. Connect with your truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is, again, a lot of these concepts are, are, are coming over and over again, you know, acknowledging that you're in a loop, acknowledging that right. you have a struggle, acknowledge that right. you have an insecurity, and acknowledge right. that that is the first – making a decision to acknowledge is the first right. step. I mean, that's, that's really, really great. It's cliche, but it's one of those things that I might actually be willing to put on my bumper as a bumper sticker. Which is what? Which is, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Absolutely. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. You keep getting what you're getting. Right. I mean, uh, right. it couldn't be more true for diet, fitness, weight loss, economics, stress, overwhelm. doesn't matter right. what you're talking about. <laughs> I often say to people, folks want to jump to Easter Sunday, and they don't want to live through Good Friday. Oh, yeah, but the only reason there's an Easter is because there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always got to be a death of something yeah, yeah, yeah. for there to be new life. That's right, it. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been incredibly um, enjoyable for me. I, I always feel like I learn so much. Every time we talk, um, likewise, and um, likewise. 
I, I, I know that people are going to um, enjoy this content and, and find value in it. And, and my hope, and I'm sure yours is too, that they simply can learn how to recognize that they actually have the ability to break the loop. And it starts with deciding to recognize that they are in a loop and that there are breathing patterns, strategies, there are changes in environment strategies, there are get plugged in somewhere else strategies uh, to to get going. Um, And there are real pros who can help you rewire the neural pathways to these new healthy non-toxic behaviors that will help you in the future uh, both recognize and move away from um, and let those loopy pathways, those neuro pathways atrophy and go away. That's right. Um, for for the folks who are listening who want to know more about you, some of the services you provide, um, or just kind of see what you're up to over time, how can people get, in, get a hold of you and, and, and get in touch? Uh, they can go to my website, which is drbrianhooper.com. That's D-R-B-R-I-A-N-H-O-O-P-E-R.com. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, Super. Well, this has been great. We're going to do it again soon. All right, Doc. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode, and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.